When do you leave drama at the door? And when is it okay to talk about it in the clinic? Today, it's all about drama in the vet clinic on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And we all know that the tough topic of drama is real. It's present. It is something we deal with every day in our workplaces. And today we want to explore like, what are the boundaries? Like, when is it okay to let your drama queen go? And when should you become the ice queen? But before we get into that, fun discussion. As always, I am one of your hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, let's just jump into this because listen, this, you know, you've got personal experience. I've got personal experience with it. I mean, let's talk about what are we talking about to begin with? Sure. So uh, recently, the people close in my life know uh, my ex-husband passed away and it was crazy, right? That's a weird space to navigate. And it was really difficult. And it kind of brought up a lot of the drama that went along with that relationship in my life in general. And, you know, luckily I work from home. And so my drama, it can be left and checked at my very own door. um, And my dogs mostly only have to deal (laughs) with it. But it got me kind of thinking about You know, we are a family in the veterinary clinic and we help each other through the day to day. And we spend so much time with all of these individuals we care about. We're working on, you know, QPR and better culture and better health. But then we also tell people, well, check your emotions at the door and leave it at the door. You can't bring your personal life into work. But I'm not sure that's realistic. And so today I just thought on the skirt tails of our leadership conversation and talking about clinic culture, what are we doing? And when you we say drama, it's not the the superficial, like right. crazy enough. It's like when real stuff is happening to the people around you that you work with, that is devastating, that is emotionally impactful. Where's the line between work and personal life? Yeah. And how do you support people that are going through legitimate stuff? Okay. So the first thing I think we need to do is define, like you said, you know, what, what do we mean by drama versus, you know, personal toil and turmoil and tragedy and things like that. So I think from the outset, uh, Becky did a great job there of saying, look, I had a, a loss in my personal life that is going to seep over into my professional life, no matter how well, I silo off my emotions, it's going to come out, right? right? So so at what point do you say, okay, you know what? I want to talk about it. At what point you as a leader within your clinic, a manager, an owner, a team leader, just a friend, at what point do you say, hey, Becky, do you want to talk about this? You know, and if so, where do you talk about it? Like, how do you talk about it? There's a lot to this issue. Now, the first thing I want to say before we get into all of this is, look, We are all living with the legacy of the baby boomer generation, the suck it up buttercups of the world, right? So, I mean, basically when I went to work as a young veterinarian, we did check it at the door, Becky. There was, you didn't bring your home business to the clinic, right? I mean, that would have get, that gets you a smack down, right? Sure, but maybe only verbally, right? right so you're right. not allowed to talk about it, but you right. can't possibly tell me that you're on top of your game, that you did no, your very right, best right. medicine because you're stuffing down what's really going on. Yes, but so now we've got this generation, they're, 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 they're owning the clinics when I yeah. graduated, right? And so yeah. I walk in and we bottle it all up. And this is where I think a lot of this first wave of burnout and frustration and compassion fatigue and all those bad things started really developing. Because look, I was told, suck it up, buttercup, leave it at the door, all that stuff, right? It wasn't healthy. And yet at the same time, the baby boomer generation, Becky, were telling me, we're a family. 
we're supportive of each other. We're a little group, a tightly knit group. Of, and you're like, wait, what? But I can't tell you that my mom died. Wait, right. what? You right. know, I'm, I've got tears because my dog is dying. Right. I mean, I mean, so Becky, let's there's let's let's start. There's a couple of things. There's personal loss. Maybe your pet is you know, your loved one is, is going through illness. So what are some of the other things that we're going to talk about that are legitimate? I think things you need to talk about. So in, in absolute trigger warnings here, guys, because they are going to be hard things. We are going to talk about personal loss. Um, I, I do think that violence and disease such as alcoholism and drug abuse inside the home is right. a struggle for so many of our individuals. And and then I also think that sometimes life is just really overwhelming and we don't um, maybe have the tools to deal with it. So um, it can be things like being a single parent and just dealing with having an, an, another family. I, I know colleagues whose children have disabilities, right? So we have, right. you know, um, autism and, and different learning spectrums and they're trying to juggle that. And, and like we know life is hard in the best case scenarios, right? So when we deal with things like addiction in our, our personal lives, loss in our personal lives, our own personal illness. Okay, like so many um, veterinary professionals are out there battling cancer and going to work. They're battling, you know, taking care of their elderly failing parents and they're still going to work. There's a myriad of things. Okay, so now here we go. Let's say you're battling one of those things. It's happened in your real life. It is happening. Becky, what are the boundaries that you see? Like when should what does it look like? Like when you walk into the clinic, like you have a loss, you had an immediate loss. You probably want to talk about it. You probably need to talk about it. This is your family. These, this is the, really the only outreach you've got. It's the only interpersonal communication you're going to have. So how do you start? I know, I know, I know. And I think that, honestly, it's you have to be open and you have to have leadership that you can go into the office and say, yes. this, is, this just happened in my life. I feel like it's affecting me as a person. I here's what I want to do. I want to go home. I want to take leave. I want to stay here and keep myself busy, but I need you to kind of look out for me and know that I'm having a hard time, whatever it is. But I think you have to start at the starting point of being in a culture where you actually can open up and say those things and not be told, suck it up, buttercup. Now, listen, I want to jump right back into leadership. And if you haven't listened to that podcast we did on leadership in the real world, definitely go check it out after this one, because there's a lot of interesting points here. But here's the first thing I want to make uh, really clear today. I don't like it when a manager, when an owner, when the leader within the clinic team is the last to hear that Becky had something bad happen in her life. You have got to create a culture where it is just as Becky described. And this is what we did in our clinics. And this is what we would encourage you to do as well. You need to have it such an open policy and such a trusting, you know, a supportive leadership that Becky wants to walk in the first thing, go talk to the manager, the owner, the whomever in the office and say, look, this is what happened. Because see what people want, Becky, is to be heard. Like, like that is welling up inside you, right? You just want to get it out and you really need to get it out. And let me tell you this, if you don't do this, two things are happening within your team. One, people are hush hush about it. Oh my gosh, I don't know. What do we do? You know, Becky had this tragedy happen. You know, how do we deal with it? So now there's this little coconut telegraph of gossip that goes on. Destructive, yeah. not helpful, unproductive. And the other thing is then the leaders are starting to go, whoa, why is Tom over here bent out of shape? Tom, what the heck's going on with you? Meanwhile, if Tom has just been dumped on by Becky. He's dealing with that. He's trying to process it. So as a leader within your clinic, you really need to be able to go straight to you because I'll tell you what happens, Becky, in my experiences, 
you come into to me or Laura or Joanne or Jean or any of our leadership team at any of our clinics, and you say, you know, you feel comfortable. First of all, we've established that we've got this culture that's supportive and nurturing. And you walk in and you go, hey, here's what's happened. And you kind of unload to that leadership person. And let me tell you what happens. You don't go unload on everybody else. I mean, it may start to come up, but you really need to purge that. And that's what I always loved. And I'll tell you, my wife was just, you know, Laura, I always talk about her, but she was brilliant at this because she would be always the first person people would call, would text, would say, can I talk to you real quick? I mean, they would go to her first and I think that's a really important leadership lesson. Yeah, and, and I can see that in Miss Laura too, because she is such a wonderful lady with a, a big heart and and really emotionally intelligent. And I think a lot of that is important because when we have people in our lives who help us kind of um, sort through these feelings when we really don't know how to deal with them, they are confidants we want to go to. But then, you know, there is another group of people who just don't want to talk about it. They're not right. ready to talk about it. And so um, it, you also need to inform, to in encourage a culture within your clinic that says, um, even if you don't want to talk about it, you, you, you can come to us and say, look, I'm safe. I'm okay. But I, I've got some, some stuff going on in my life and I just really need, um, some patience or some space or, um, a long lunch or whatever it is I need. And as a leader, the trust and the relationship should be there that says, okay, I don't know what it is. I'm going to keep my eye on so-and-so, but this is what they need. And that they don't have to actually disclose. Well, if you can't tell me, then how can I help you? If you, you have to tell me the specifics, yada, yada. You have to be so trusting and so healthy in your culture that actually you don't have to know the specific details. Yeah, but Becky, let's keep it on the real, real. A lot of people listening today are going, Dude, that is not my practice. My practice sucks. I don't know how, yeah. how many times do we have to say that on the practice uh, here. But you know, that's what we're talking about, viewfinders. It's real out there. You are confronting a, a, an environment, a clinic, a culture that says, I'm not supportive. I'm not nurturing. Shut up, Buttercup. You know, so how do you deal with that, Becky? I think actually, um, so part of it is coaching your clinic. And it's funny, I was I was just reading an article about. Um, how to improve meeting quality when you're not in charge. And it was right. almost what I, <laughs> I brought to the table to talk about because I think we get into that. But it, it, the idea is simply, how can you make a better culture when you're not in charge? And so if your leadership is not offering you what you need, can you suggestively say it? So right. it's, um, listen, I know I, I see you be really strong in difficult moments. And, and that's, um, it's a quality that you've developed over the years. However, for me, it's not quite as easy to bottle things up and to just move on. And here's what I need. Right. You know, maybe somebody's just going to laugh at you or you say, well, that wouldn't that be nice and, and all of those things. And then again, I encourage you, you got to find a culture that does you better than that. But yeah. at the same time, I think that our quote unquote older, and I don't mean by age, I mean by uh, thought process generation needs to be coached too on how to do this correctly. Because at the end of the day, um, even the people who have looked me in the face and looked other people in the face and said, like, suck it up. You know, I, I, right. del- you know, I did surgery with a broken femur and delivering my baby at 2 a.m. <laughs> you know, I still came to work like super on you. I don't think that feels good to them even naturally. And I think right. inside they know that's not right. And so I, I encourage people to try to um, ask for what they need if they're not getting it. Give your your leadership the opportunity to hear what it is you need because they may not have ever had the opportunity to provide that. And viewfinders, go back and rewind that because what she just dropped on you was some serious, serious life lesson right there. Because here's what we keep talking about over and over again, and we'll talk about it over and over more, is the fact that you have got to communicate what you need. Yeah. And and if you're a leader, just because you could suck it up 
just because you did surgery with a broken fever and delivered, delivered your baby at the same time doesn't mean that's right for everybody, nor is it their expectation of reality. So we do have to kind of always sit back and say, hey, how is it for them? And how can I help them not just make it all about you? Because again, great, good on you. You delivered your baby at 2 a.m. by yourself in your clinic while yeah. delivering a horse, right? I don't great. know. I'm, great. But, but great on you. But that doesn't mean that that's going to work for me. That's exactly right. We need to stop putting everybody up against our other measuring sticks. And and I guess for me, too, it's like if you're a colleague of someone in a clinic, this is an, uh, an area because for many people in my life, they were like, Becky, I, I don't know what to say right now. I'm really sorry. Is there anything I can do? Is there anything that you need? But what I'm also noticing more and more people in my life doing is suggestive selling um, and saying, I see you not doing this thing I think you should be doing. And they'll politely say, make sure you're eating well, make sure you're getting some rest. And so if you're the colleague of someone in the in the wow. in a clinic where leadership is not doing what they need to do and you see them suffering, we sometimes, especially I think in this somewhat introverted, you know, um, profession that we, right. we have, like we don't know what to say. So we don't say anything at all. And especially if we know we're in a clinic of suck it up because it's like, well, I don't how many times do you hear like, I would hug you, but I know I'll make you cry. Well, like, so what? Then hug me. Let me cry because obviously I need to. Right. So if you see someone suffering, you know, give them that quote unquote hug, meaning when you're back there cleaning kennels, just say, hey, man, I know like I heard and this is really hard time for you. Um, Please take care of yourself. Please take time to rest and know I'm here for you if you need anything. Stuff like that. Because um, if, if it doesn't come from above, it can come from within. Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember when I lost my dad. And so, and of course, you know, I was still owning clinics at that time and, and dealing with all that stuff. And, um, you know, and so he's really sick for a while. And, and you know, you're right, Becky, it's, it's sort of like, okay, you didn't like it when people just ignored it, right? So like now he's going in for this procedure, or he's just had this complication or whatever, right? You didn't like it when people were just silent on the topic. You also didn't like it when they gave you just platitudes. Oh, we're thinking about you. We're praying about you, right? Yeah. You really wanted that real connection. Like you just gave us an example of, you know, you really, what meant the most to me were not long drawn out conversations, not you telling me how it was for your dad or mom when they were dying, but, oh for, you to go, God, yes. but for you to go, you know, hey man, listen, uh, I, I just want to let you know, I'm thinking about you, you know, I know this is a tough time. If there's anything I can do, let me know. Like that is what, for me at least, that really made all the difference in the world because I could engage if I wanted. I could step away if I wanted, but I felt safe around that. I don't know, Becky, am I making sense with that? hundred I percent. Mean, it's just that validation that your feelings are significant, especially when you're surrounded in a suck it up culture. So if right. everyone around you is like, yeah, no, I mean, I know your dog just died yesterday, but all dogs die and you work in a clinic and dogs die every day. And so can't you just be okay about right, it? Right. Um, no, and I don't have to be, but you're forcing me to be. And so um, I think when we have that going on, it just really invalidates the significance of whatever it is going on in our lives. Now, what really complicates this, viewfinders, are the people that take advantage of these types of situations. So right now, all we've talked about are legitimate tragedies, crises, occurrences in your life. Okay, legitimate stuff. But there are people that take advantage of this. And Becky, maybe, you know, I know in the pre-call we were talking a little bit about this, but sort of elaborate on why sometimes a drama queen, our king, can really make this culture of, of inclusion and nurturing and compassion much more difficult to actually pull off in the real world. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder if it's not kind of how we get to where we are sometimes where, you know, we know. So first of all, we know that even in legitimate situations, sometimes they do get long and drawn out long term care of our, our family. It gets it gets hard to as a clinic constantly compensate for that. And while you want to be empathetic, you're still watching the rest of your right. staff go short staffed or 
you know, again, um, when people are dealing with, you know, things like, um, you know, domestic abuse situations and stuff like that, sometimes it's just kind of, it seems just kind of constant. And you're like, look, you're in a bad situation. Just get out. I need you to just get like, why can't you just get out? We can't continue to, to comfort you and make you feel better once a week when you've had this terrible experience. We think you should be doing better. We know how you should fix this. And then we get angry at the person who is, we, we literally victim shame. Um, it's a really hard space to navigate. You do have to decide the legitimacy of it. And then we have to look out for the characters who basically like young kids, negative attention is still attention. And so when we go into the clinic and we sob and we cry and we have a life crisis, then we get the attention we need. We get the space that we need and it becomes learned helplessness that's rewarded. And that's the job of a manager to, to help navigate. And here's the thing. Are they helping themselves and are they taking steps to help themselves? And is there an action plan? So whenever someone is going through a really hard time, even if you have an employee whose car keeps breaking down and then they're in your office crying all the time because they don't know how to get in front of that. The car keeps breaking down. It is legitimate. It's legitimate. Their car is broken on the side of the road. You can see that. But it's affecting work. It's affecting their life. How can we help them move toward a solution and see that they're moving toward a solution because I can work with you as long as you're working with yourself to some extent and trying to improve. So I think what we really have to look at is, is not necessarily the, the crisis, the level of crisis and the frequency of crisis, but more, what are we doing to improve this? So for example, with me, is it, it's just an acute situation. You had a loss. Um, we're, we're expecting a really bad week. Now I'm watching you for improved behavior and improved emotional state And if it continues to seem like you're struggling, then I want to help you create an action plan. I I see that this is really affecting you and I don't blame you. This was really hard. As you're an employer and as a friend, can we create some steps to help you? Can we find some grief counseling? Can I help you schedule that into your time to to get that taken care of, to be able to meet with someone so you don't have to stress about it in childcare? And in the long run, what I know is if I lose you for an hour a day, once a week, um, because I give you this time for grieving in a month, I'm going to have you back 200% as opposed to six months of trying to deal with this. Yeah, that's a really great, great point. So again, we're back to the leadership has got to identify and help sort of weed through what's legit, what's not. Are you working on steps to improve whatever the situation may be? If not, can we help you there? Right. I mean, that's where this thing has to start. Right. I mean, it absolutely does. And and then I guess the next thing I want to explore or talk or ask you about and what Miss Laura did is. When this is happening, whether it's acute or chronic, how does leadership disperse it to the team in a way that we don't break confidentiality and we don't break trust, but we let everybody know this individual needs space? And I think that's one one area that I've always had a really hard time navigating. Like, how much do you want the staff to know? What can I tell them? What can I tell them? And and how can we support from within without telling everybody our business? Bingo. And this is why, again, that culture where they feel comfortable talking to the leadership is so important. So what would happen is at the end of this unload, purge, you know, kind of whatever session you want to call this, Laura, myself, Joanne Jean, whomever would sit, sit back and go, hey, listen, so let me ask you this. Are you going to share this with the team? You know, if they ask, if anybody asks me, what do you want me to say? So we'd open that door. Now, typically it would go in one of two directions. And quite frankly, the vast majority of the time is like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, definitely. If anybody asks, yeah, you can definitely tell them, you know, my, my father's 
ill or my kid's sick, right? Whatever. But then there were times like we, I, we did deal with the domestic abuse issue in our clinic uh, many years ago. And this, whoa, no, 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 we are not, <laughs> that's not yeah. something we can broadcast. Now, if that individual chose to on a one-on-one basis, that's fine. But me as a leader, you know, uh, no way. And so basically what happened in that situation is the person we said, no, you know, I really don't want to talk to anybody about this. You know, obviously this is super private. You know, that's why I'm telling you because I don't want it to get out to the team. And we really, you know, kind of just wound up bouncing back to these when people would say, hey, where is, you know, X person, you know, or why is she leaving early or whatever this question? Hey, well, you know, right now she's got some personal things to take care of. You know, we're on top of it and everything's fine. We would just have to dismiss it that quickly. I don't know, Becky, I don't have a perfect answer for you, but I will tell you this, you better establish with the person what you can and cannot say and who you can tell it to or not. Yeah. But you know what I love about that is I think that consistently when that happens in a clinic with a good culture is somebody knows, okay, wow, there must something really be going on. And I don't know what it is. And obviously it's none of my business, but we're supporting that person right now. Yeah. You know, one of the things that used to drive me crazy, Becky, about a situation like this, especially where people were not like sharing it with the whole team, like let's say it was receptionist, right? What I, what used to drive me crazy was somebody who was not on their team, like a veterinary technician, sorry, Becky, but then they would start complaining, well, wait, why is, you know, Julie always leave? Why has she been leaving like, you know, every week and stuff like that, right? So they don't know what's going on. They're not yeah. as close to Julie as other receptionists. We got it worked out, right? All the receptionists know what's going on. They, you know, and I used to always think that, wow, the people that complain the loudest are often the furthest away from the actual impact, you know? So I don't know if that's been your experience, but, you know, a lot of times like the other receptionists gel together, they totally had each other's backs. And then yet I've got this person from the back going, hey, what's going on up there? I don't like it. Oh my gosh, the 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 back middle, you know, front culture is 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 tricky and it is all about that inter interclinic communication. Um and I think it just does come down to having that regular conversation of like, look, you know, if somebody if you have a question about what else somebody else is doing in this clinic, first of all, I I, I personally am of a check your own self type, <laughs> you know, like don't worry so much about what somebody else is doing. I'm their boss and I'll worry about that until something is not getting handled. I don't know why you're investing your energy in it. But also because they do want to know it, it, we all make up our own truth whenever a situation happens. And again, based on our current level of emotional intelligence and life experience, we're probably thinking, well, they're going to go eat bonbons and have a nice afternoon. They're getting off early. And we aren't thinking about their personal struggle. Um, And I think that just having a constant conversation about supporting each other in a clinic just on a regular basis, like, hey, you know, we're here to support each other. We're not here to question why anybody's doing anything. I think remembering in the times that there's not crisis of keeping up you know, morale is the way to make sure that when crisis happens, it doesn't cause ripples. Okay. So Becky, as we sort of wind down our conversation today, I know what a lot of the viewfinders are asking themselves are probably screaming it right now at their iPhone or their car. And that is this. Okay. I hear you guys when it's legit. I totally am down with that. But no, we've got these people in our, in our clinic that are drama kings and queens, right? How do we deal with that nonsense? Okay, stop yelling. We're listening. We're here to answer your questions. You don't have to yell at us. Um, no, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And again, that comes down to uh, the last three years of podcast culture and and leadership and the whole like you cannot fix one situation. Like like bad culture is not going to do any one situation really well. Yep. Um, more than likely. So if your clinic culture sucks, this is this is how this is going to go. Drama right. kings are going to be allowed. Drama queens are going to be allowed. The 
you know, the the queen bee is going to be allowed to cause the toxicity. Like we right. know what this typical culture looks like. We have seen this hierarchy. Yep. Go to any conference and listen about workplace drama. And each and every one of these people is literally spelled out on paper. They're not original. They're not new. Right. They're not fun. They're typical. And so if that is your clinic culture, again, you either have to inspire the change or find somewhere that it's going to be different. But when you've got these guys going on, this doesn't even apply to this situation, right? right? Again, it right. comes down to, are you trying to help yourself? Is this a real problem or not? Is it affecting your work or is it that you just need to constantly complain? Um, is it affecting my work? Because even when it is legitimate, it still needs to be controlled. And unfortunately, this all comes down like to management and leadership. And, and that is lacking in so many clinics that it's not going to on a culture or clinic culture level be what it needs to be. So then you have to create it in your space. And I do want to point out one thing that I think is really important. And I don't want to leave today's conversation with UV finders before we talk about it. And that is sometimes these types of behaviors are signals of deeper underlying problems. So meaning that if there's a person who constantly is really sort of, you know, overwhelmed, they burn their breakfast, okay? And it just totally derails their day. Like they cannot cope with, you know, a person who cuts them off in traffic. I mean, just small things. This could be, again, a signal to you as a team leader that this person may need a different level of help, certainly more than just you saying, suck it up, or hey, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Everybody burns their toast occasionally, or there's rude people in traffic all everywhere, right? So right. you get what I'm saying, Becky, because there are people that they truly don't know how to handle life's little bumps. And those bumps become Mount Everest's in their life. And it really can lead to more serious consequences. So I would say also, if you see a person who chronically is sort of feeling overwhelmed and impassioned by the smallest little hiccups of life, then that might be an opportunity for you to pull them aside and say, Hey, you know, listen, just want to check in with you. How's everything going? Um, I had, I've had, you know, several employees with that type of issue over, over the years. And these were people that once you started talking to them, you know, they, they felt helpless. Right. And we did get, the, get yeah. them help. We, we got counselors. I mean, we paid for this stuff in many of those cases because we felt like, like you, Becky, this was an investment in, you know, if, if we can kind of get this person back, you know, wow, they're amazing. And I'll tell you what also happened. All of those situations that I personally was experienced with, and we then got them some help, you know, minor counseling. I mean, it really wasn't big drawn out stuff, right. but those right. people were so appreciative and loyal. I mean, you know, again, you talk about culture. They know no matter what you've got their back. I mean, have you, have you had experiences like that or? Yeah, of course. You're absolutely right. You know, I, I will not name names, but I had, you know, one of my first jobs, the, the veterinarian was one of those that, you know, literally threw scalpels at people's heads, um, yeah. overworked, <laughs> screamed and yelled. We had people leave the clinic because he would be so abusive to the staff that they wouldn't sit there and listen to it. It was a nightmare. The fact of the matter was, is number one, that veterinarian liked me and never treated me that way. And number two, uh, I was a brand new baby tech. I had just gotten out of tech school and I was poor. I mean, so poor. And at one point I screwed up and my electricity got turned off. And without fling, like even a second's thought, he wrote me a check that covered each and every bit that I needed, back pay, forward pay, all the things. I paid him back. Um, of course, but like he never thought about, uh, it, there was never a hesitation to take care of me on a personal level, to help me on a personal level. He didn't hold it against me. He didn't use it against me. It was truly a kindness move from him, an investment in me, a, I'm sorry, you've got this going on. I'm here to help because life happens kind of moment. And 
despite the screaming, the throwing, the yelling, all of the things that went on in the clinic, I was I was devoted to him as a as a veterinarian, and I believed in him as a person because he showed me kindness and um, yeah. respected me as a person and didn't shame me and helped me. And when you invest in people individually, sometimes they're they're very alone. You know, at that point, I had just recently left my at the time husband and I was just trying to figure out life on my own. And it was really, really hard. And he knew that. Um, So at the end of the day, these personal investments in people and helping them on a personal level, it's essential because guess what? We just need help as human beings. And because of the nature of the fact that we work so many hours, so many days, we don't live in a in a life where our neighbor is our best friend anymore. And we grew up with that same college buddy and she, we're going to call him like we literally find our support system often in the people we spend all day with in our hospitals. And it's why we've got to get so much better at this. Wow. I cannot think of a better way to end this discussion. Viewfinders. Wow. That was some seriously good advice from Becky Mosser, RVT. Well, Viewfinders, what do you think about this? How do you deal with personal tragedies, legitimate crises in your workplace? Do you have a nurturing, caring, and compassionate leadership? If not, what are you doing to change it? We really want to hear from you. That's right. You can reach out to us on social media. And in addition to us, there are so many sources out there to reach out to. If you are in a place where you need help, you need someone to listen to. We know there are support lines. There are more and more Facebook groups for supporting veterinary staff and the support staff associated with them. Let us know how you're dealing with this in your in your culture. Uh, good ways and bads. You know, how did you kind of help the drama kings and queens become a little simmered down? And how do you really support people when they're going through through things? We want to know and we want to share it with our listening community because we all want to do this better. Find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, on Instagram at Vet Viewfinder, and on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. That's right. And don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes because that is all we ask for this little podcast because it really <laughs> does help us reach other veterinary professionals. Until next time, as always, bye. Bye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>